if you are lost in your thoughts while you're doing something and not paying attention, then you're actually not really there. You're mm -hmm. not really in the moment doing what you're doing. And so if you are consciously paying attention to videotaping something or whatever it is you're doing or absorbing information, then they are actually making an imprint on you and you will have greater accessibility to those. I've been thinking a lot about mindfulness lately. In a world where we're constantly connected, have an abundant access to information, it seems like it's more important than ever to stay mindful and present in your moment and your experiences. In this episode of the So We've Been Thinking podcast, I was able to connect with Erin Wu of the Mindfulness Center at Brown University. Erin shares her insights, expertise, and perspective on how we can stay mindful in an increasingly distractible world. Hello, my name is Erin Wu, and I work at the Mindfulness Center at Brown University, where I focus primarily on programs for bringing mindfulness to students in schools, directly through working with educators themselves. So the idea behind that is we've worked both ways in schools, teaching children directly how to use mindfulness, and it's fantastic, beautiful work, and children, most children, are really drawn to it. And I find that they use it in really exciting ways. And then what I also notice happens is after that amount of time that I'm there, maybe eight, an eight-week program twice a week or something like that, that it seems like it kind of dies off, that mindfulness gets checked off the list of things teachers have done, and they move on to all of the ever- pressing and growing needs that they need to focus on. And so the other, the other way of working it is to bring mindfulness to teachers directly and so that it's more of a lasting intervention so that if teachers learn to practice mindfulness themselves and how to bring it to their students, then it be can become integrated in their school day and become just a part of what they do in the classroom. And so our approach is really three, three ways that there are some things you can teach without having a lot of experience with them, but mindfulness is not one. Mindfulness to teach well or in any meaningful way really requires that you understand what the practice is yourself. So in working with teachers, we really focus on building a foundation first in, in what a mindfulness practice for, for themselves would be. The second area that I find really, really exciting in, in uh, bringing to teachers is this idea of an embodied presence that when I am interacting with my students, that I'm actually connected to my body and in the present moment in these interactions. And this is a skill that can be developed, but that doesn't necessarily come easily at all. Uh, it takes some practice, but the implications for teaching in this way are pretty profound. Teachers report uh, big shifts in their classroom when they start teaching in this way. And then the final way is, of course, how do you introduce mindfulness to students? So we offer tools and ways of bringing mindfulness to students. Uh, so that's my primary work at the Mindfulness Center. I think on a, like a personal level for me, I'm um, 
generally more aware of the importance of this through my own children. I have a second grader and they practice some mindfulness strategies in their classroom and it's kind of embedded in the work that they do. Um, increasingly, the, the concept of mindfulness and the importance of that in an educational setting and educators um, like truly understanding and adopting this this kind of work and then translating, like you said, one of the three-pronged approaches is how might we introduce this to students and maybe it seems like thoughtful and um, effective ways. So it's becoming um, like a regularly used terminology. It seems like schools are adopting this as like an important component of what students experience. But could you clarify or maybe just um, create common language for everyone because I think it might be often misunderstood when the the term is used over and over again and it might be diluted a bit so what if you were to um have like the 30 second pitch of what is mindfulness could you clarify that for everyone yeah that's an excellent question and you're right the more widespread mindfulness becomes the more confusion there is about what what exactly is it that we're talking about so at a really basic level, especially when working with young children, mindfulness is paying attention to what's happening right now. And it, it's as simple as that, although you can spend a lifetime developing your capacity to be mindful and your understanding of it. But this ability to be present, to be paying attention to what you're doing seems like a really simple thing. And yet in practice, if you notice, most often during the day, you are either planning and thinking about what you need to do next and trying to check off your items on your to-do list or worrying about something that happened earlier, maybe an argument you had with your partner or something like that. And so, so much of our time is spent in our minds, not actually connecting to what's happening in this moment. And of course, the only possibility of, of living this life happens in this moment. And so mindfulness is this both this capacity, innate capacity that we all have to be present, and also a formal practice of making that capacity more available, more readily available to ourselves. I think that the listeners and anyone who's been exploring this idea would really benefit from that super clarified perspective and understanding of what it is. Could you speak to a bit um, what you see the that the impact is maybe on students first, if they're able to, like you said, um, escape maybe the think of, the thinking of like planning what must be done, what's going on in my head, thinking back to previous interactions in the day, like what can the impact be on their experience in school? Um, maybe on their academic performance, on their overall happiness in that environment, or even outside of school as well, because I don't think we have to isolate it to just that environment. Right. Uh, so in my experience, anecdotally, the effects of practicing mindfulness, of students practicing mindfulness are pretty profound. Students report back to me, class after class, of ways in which they're using it, which are quite inspiring. So a lot of stories I hear are around uh, interpersonal issues they're having with their, with their parent or their brother or their sister or someone in school and ways of dealing with those intense feelings that arise when, when something isn't going the way you want it to. And so this, this possibility of pausing taking a breath, noticing that you are feeling really angry. And in that pause, in that breath, 
opens up so much more. If you don't notice that you're angry, then you're automatically going to punch that kid in the nose or yell or whatever your habitual way of reacting is. But when, when you're able to stop for a moment, then a lot more becomes available, a lot more than you could even dream up in your own mind. Creative ways of working through things become available. So that's one way. Emotion regulation is, is a hugely important aspect of mindfulness. Another, especially uh, important at school, is the ability to concentrate increases. And so on one level, mindfulness is a practice of developing the concentration. And so there are many ways of practicing mindfulness. One very traditional way is to pay attention to your breath. And so you notice that you're breathing, you notice what that feels like, and then at some point you notice your mind has wandered away. As soon as you notice that, it's not a problem. You don't need to be critical or judgmental. You simply notice it and bring your attention back to your breathing. And so you, you just keep doing this, bringing your attention back again and again. And so on, on one level, mindfulness is a, a practice of training the attention to be able to place it where you want. And so this, of course, has big implications in the classroom, in the ability to focus on where on where you want. Hopefully the teacher, but that's up to the student to decide as they learn it. Uh, and these two areas, emotion regulation and the ability to concentrate, are the ones that look most promising in the research on how mindfulness impacts students. This research is very nascent. There isn't a lot and it's somewhat inconclusive right now, but these are two areas that look really promising. I find it all to be fascinating, especially because of the the work that I primarily get to do with ed tech teacher. And even when I was um, a, a high school history teacher, I'm thinking of ways to integrate technology because it allows for all sorts of new avenues for creativity and collaboration. Um, but it seems like with the introduction of those tools presents potentially presents new problems, new avenues for distraction, maybe even new opportunities to be less mindful. And I know that one of the reasons we were able to connect is because you'll be talking at our event in Boston this November and connecting this idea of um, potentially leading to more innovation, more student creativity through mindfulness. So what do you see as the connection between mindfulness and creativity or mindfulness and innovation? And then if you would even feel comfortable speaking to the idea or what role technology plays in all of this. So in terms of how mindfulness relates to creativity and innovation, in Western culture and our culture, there is this really strong reliance on the cognitive mind, on cognitive thinking. And in schools, we tend really to focus on this aspect of learning and knowing and relating to the world. And this is one form of knowing. It's a really important way. And it's great for solving math problems, diving into science theory, and this sort of thing. But the mind isn't so great in lots of other ways. It uh, isn't so great in looking at all sorts of different ways of finding answers to problems. It's not great at helping work through emotions or anything on this level. There's another kind of knowing that doesn't take place in the mind that's more body-centered. And 
mindfulness gives us access to this. So what, what is this other kind of knowing? Uh, it's the knowing that, that happens when, when you're not in your cognitive mind. And so one, one example, one way people access this is, I don't know, let's see, you're trying to remember someone's name and you're really focused on it and you're thinking and that's driving you crazy and you can't remember their name. <laughs> this is me. This is me at almost every interaction, by the way. Okay. So for some people, a bigger problem than for others. <laughs> uh, and then you take a shower or you take a nap or something and all of a sudden you're in the hot water and it just comes to you. You weren't trying to remember it. Your mind was on something else. And then, oh, that, that's his name. So it's, it's not a cognitive process at all. It's something that's coming from within. And it's very much related to the creative process or the process of innovation. When we are locked into this cognitive process, we, we lose this other way of knowing or exploring. And so mindfulness is a way of opening this up for us. We, well, our minds work through neuroplasticity, which I'm sure you're familiar with. I'm sure a lot of your listeners are, but I'll, I'll mention it briefly. Neuroplasticity is quite literally neuro, meaning brain, and plastic, malleable. So we have these malleable brains, which is really fantastic news. Every single thing we do all day long is creating and strengthening neural pathways within the mind. So whether you're riding a bike, uh, having an argument with someone, reading a book, watching TV, you're strengthening those particular pathways in your mind and making it more likely that you will do those things in the future. And then the things you're not doing are weakening through disuse and becoming less likely that you will do those things. And so we create these strong grooves in our mind based on, on what we're used to doing. And oftentimes, there's no awareness that we're creating them. We fall into very habitual ways of being, of thinking. And so this cuts off creativity. And uh, when you practice mindfulness, it's this way of getting out of this cognitive way of thinking, mm. this way of creating spaciousness. And in that spaciousness, many people find that creativity arises, that all sorts of possible solutions, ideas, and answers arise from, from the space of moving out of that cognitive way of thinking. Uh, as it relates to technology, I, I guess I haven't put a lot of thought into that. Let me pause for a moment. I could prompt you a bit too. Um, I was recently, I wish I could remember, the the article that I was reading, um, it it basically presented the idea that if if one is to take a picture of something that they are doing, it increases the likelihood that they will not remember the experience because they're not present in the experience. And then uh, a friend and colleague of mine, um, Saba, who does extensive sharing of her travels and her stories on social media. Um, kind of replied really quickly to the, uh, you know, a, po a, po a post or a tweet that I put out and was like, hey, I, I kind of feel the opposite. That when I'm able to kind of like thoughtfully capture my experiences and then share them later, oftentimes maybe multiple days after the actual event, it allows me to 
almost recall it to a higher degree. So I wonder if as soon as we hold that device up to record something, snap a photo of something, whatever it is that we're documenting with the device, does it, do you feel like it might get in the way of really being present? Mm -hmm. Well, at first it sounded like you were going in a different direction and that your, your colleague or your friend, when she's bringing mindfulness to those moments when she's engaging in technology, actually remembering them better than when she's just mindlessly doing them. And I would say that is a, is a huge avenue for mindfulness in relating to technology or to any experience. If you are lost in your thoughts while you're doing something and not paying attention, then you're actually not really there. You're mm. not really in the moment doing what you're doing. And so if you are consciously paying attention to videotaping something or whatever it is you're doing or absorbing information, then they are actually making an imprint on you and you will have greater accessibility to those. Uh, another another thing that came up in, in that brief pause yeah. when I said I hadn't really thought about it. Of course, I've thought about it. One, <laughs> um, <when>, yeah. One other thing that came up is that we have these incredibly powerful tools available to us through technology, which can, as as you're well aware, be used in so many wonderful ways in education or, or whatever endeavors we're using them in. And yet they, because they can do so much, because they're so powerful, they have a tendency really to, to suck us right in so that we, we aren't really using them as tools anymore. We're kind of locked into them and not really bringing a thoughtfulness to how we're using them. And so mindfulness is a way of really paying attention to, to ourselves, to what's going on in our experience as we're using them to stay connected to that ability to be creative, to, to connect to our experience as we're engaging so that we are, in fact, using them as tools wisely and not getting sucked in and, you know, switching over to Facebook or Instagram or whatever it is and finding right. that we're losing hours of our time. Yeah. It's, it seems like when you were mentioning earlier how so much time is spent in one's mind and not being kind of like super present with the experience or the interactions that's going on around them, the same thing, I think you kind of already alluded to it, the same could, thing could be said about um, getting lost in one of those platforms and not being aware and present with the things that are happening around you so you're not truly there, like you said. Why do you think that the idea of mindfulness and the adoption of this way of thinking and way of being is is becoming popular now? Or why do you think it's there's an increased awareness now, what seems like greater than any other time before? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, I, a lot of people have been practicing mindfulness in different ways on, on their own for many, many years have kind of stealthily been bringing it to their school environments and having great success with it. So I think that's, that's one thing that's just been going on for a long time. And I guess as a result of that, more and more people are being exposed to it. And the more people are exposed to it and just take a moment to experience, to stop and to actually notice what it feels like to feel into your body 
if you're sitting in a chair, to feel what it feels like to be sitting in that chair or standing on your feet, to notice what your breath feels like, that there's something quite tangible in that experience that people can, can feel into immediately and understand that it's something very different than, than the way in which our lives tend to go. It's a kind of stepping out of this fast, incredibly fast pace that we go at. So I think that awareness has been building up slowly in many, many different places and it just kind of reached a tipping point where lots of people now have been introducing it in different ways in professional development or teachers have been seeing it in other people's classrooms or hearing about the way in which they're using it. It's in the media a lot. And so there's just this growing awareness that mindfulness is something that maybe I'm not even sure what it means. But I, I know enough about it to know that I want to know more about it. Right. And that is both a wonderful thing and, and a danger. Uh, because there are many ways to, to, to kind of use mindfulness as a band-aid without really understanding what it means. And uh, I was really grateful that you asked, well, what does it mean early right. on? Because it's really important to know that. And to understand that uh, there is a really strong foundation for it that the thing I mean you know it's fine to use tools but that there can be this way in which people hear about it and think oh I'm going to use mindfulness to fix my my class <laughs> and I use that in kind of a, yeah I'm going to impose mindfulness on my students so that I don't have so many behavioral problems and there's nothing with turning toward mindfulness as a way of hoping that things will improve in the classroom but uh, I've seen this happen a lot when teachers approach it in kind of this disciplinary way that it robs it of this innate quality that we all have and makes it something that can be quite negative for students in their experience and really turn them off from it. Uh, so yeah, the growing awareness is great and there's this kind of shadow side that we have to be aware of and it's important really to see both. Yeah, it seems like it would be slightly counterintuitive to impose the the practice on someone when it seems like it's something that should uh, maybe be introduced, well, like you said, with strategies, or it seems like there would be a, maybe a more effective way to introduce this to students, but not one that becomes punitive in any way, or it seems like it would just be so against uh, what what the experience and what the feelings and what the awareness could and should be like if one were to truly adopt it on their own. Yeah, well, that shows that you have some understanding of what mindfulness is, which I'm, is wonderful. And, you know, things, difficulties in the classroom are just rising. There are so many challenges in being a teacher. It's an incredibly difficult job. And the, the stress, the burnout associated with being a teacher is intense. And so I, I don't fault teachers for not, who don't know much about it and thinking, sure. oh, you know, this fix. You know, I, I totally get that. And, you know, that, that's a door open. Okay, so that's why you're, you're coming to learn about it. Let, let's look at, about it, look at yeah. it in a different way. Do you think it's, do you think there's any connection between like, I'm, I'm, I'm in this world of educational technology and the devices that schools are introducing and the, the expectations of using them in maybe productive, efficient or creative ways. There's so much potential with technology when it's introduced into a classroom, but even uh, like a bigger scale um, socially and it, the way our culture has been impacted by technology, do you think it's 
um, like this increase flow of information, the access of information, the ability to become distracted at a scale that I don't think you or I experienced in our childhoods that is maybe creating um, maybe creating the need for educators to be more aware of practices of mindfulness. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you bring up, I, I'm probably a bit older than you. And yeah, there were plenty of times in my childhood when there was just space, there was nothing to do. And I had to figure out what to do when I was bored. Although that was really <laughs> that being a big part of my childhood, you know, there were always things going on. And uh, yet technology does move so quickly. And there's so many different ways of engaging with it. That yeah, children are lost these days without it. They, they don't know what to do when their phone isn't available. And so, yeah, that way in which these devices can so fully suck our attention and in a very unmindful way, yeah, means that mindfulness is, a, even, is an antidote needed even more so. I, I really appreciate your time with talking with me and I'm inspired and intrigued to go do a bit more research on my own at this point. If you wouldn't mind, if I could kind of put you on the spot too, if someone is listening to this episode and this conversation, if you could point them to either to learn more about your work or a place that they could get started if they want to start to read or explore or listen more about these ideas about mindfulness. Sure. Uh, so we offer lots of different programming at the Mindfulness Center at Brown. As of January, we will be offering our first MBSR for educators course. MBSR stands for Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction. And so this is a bit of a deep dive into mindfulness, if you are so inclined. Uh, it starts off with personal practice and then bridges this uh, personal practice to how you bring it into the classroom. So that would be a great place to start if you are interested as far as that goes. If you are just kind of interested in experimenting and, and trying it out for yourself, there are different apps that you can use. One is Insight Timer, which is a free app. Uh, you can either just listen, uh, set a timer for a silent meditation with a bell to notify you at the end, or there are guided meditations, which you can listen to. Uh, Calm is another app, which actually is available for free to educators, so that's a great one. Uh, there are some readily available curriculums, if you're interested in, in kind of giving that a try. Mind Up is a relatively inexpensive one that's got some really good ideas in it. That is available for K through eighth grade, uh, different levels. Uh, Breathe is a curriculum for high school kids if, if you're working in that age group. Uh, so yeah, these are the things that are coming to mind at the moment. Yeah, this is re that's really helpful. I just actually installed an app myself the other day, um, Happify, that I came across in a lot of social emotional learning research. And so it's interesting that the talk of devices and the potential level of distraction could also be an avenue to begin to explore these ideas of mindfulness. Well, I just want to say it's an excellent point. Technology is not a problem. It, you know, it, it, yeah. it's actually wonderful that we have these tools. If we can bring mindfulness to them, then we can use them rather than having them rule us yeah absolutely i completely agree with you on that point 
Um, so I really appreciate the time that you took for us today. We look forward to seeing you in November at the Tech Teacher um, Innovation and Education event. Um, I will have uh, some speaker notes with the episode, links to the resources that you shared with us. And uh, once again, we just want to say thank you for joining us. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Thanks, Greg. Really great to be with you. And I'm really looking forward to, to the uh, event. If you enjoyed this conversation with Aaron and the concept of mindfulness and education in the classroom, and you would like to learn more, she's actually going to be one of our keynote speakers at the EdTech Teacher Innovation and Education event, which is coming up this November 18th through 19th at the Dearborn STEM Academy in Boston. To learn more, visit edtechteacher.org forward slash events. We look forward to seeing you there, and thanks for listening to the So We've Been Thinking podcast.